Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that when we gather in this space um, in ways that are unique to when we gather together uh, as your people, uh, that you are with us. We know that you're with us everywhere and at all times, and yet there is something unique. And so we're just really grateful for this space, this time, for these people. And we pray that as we center ourselves around you and around your word, that you would give us great joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What have been some of the most joy-filled moments in your life? Strangely, one of the, one of the first that came to mind for me, it's, it's strange because it's also one of, uh, one of the few moments in which I thought Kelly might actually have grounds for divorce. Because uh, it was, it was, a, like, it was a, like an intensely brutal experience and yet also one of our most joyful. We were, we were 23 years old. We'd been married for almost exactly a year. And I convinced her that for our first vacation together, we should go camping in the mountains and climb Long's Peak. Uh, Long's Peak is, uh, that's it right there. It's one of the 14ers in Colorado. It's the highest point in Rocky, Mas- Rocky Mountain National Park. Uh, and we, I convinced her, like, yes, we're going to do this, right? Uh, and, but we had no idea like, what we were getting ourselves into. And frankly, we had done almost no hiking together at all up to this point. And you know, as we began to do some research about this, and really we did most of our learning on the hike itself. Like, for example, you had, typically people start at like 2 in the morning because you have to get off before the lightning. It's 14 miles round trip, 5,000 feet of elevation gain. The last 0.7 miles, you gain 1,000 feet in 0.7 miles. Okay, uh, all, all like, yeah, that's, that's, that's literally it right there. Um, and, uh, you know, all with like clinging on the boulders and narrow ledges, steep drop-offs, and the potential of lightning that will, that will kill you. And we, we kind of thought, and this is what I talked to her, and he was like, we're going to hike to the top of this mountain. But it was more like, you know, holding on for dear life uh, as we scrambled slowly to the top of this mountain. I mean, that last mile took us four hours, no exaggeration. So we were, we were emotionally unprepared, uh, poorly dressed, and we even ran out of water. There were moments when we both thought, we could die here, and moments in which we wish we had. And other moments when I thought for sure Kelly was just going to do one of these uh, off the ledge to me. This is, again, we've been married one year at this point. It was brutal. And it was absolutely joyful. Like, one of the most enjoyable, like, even now, like, some of our, our, our memories together, the, the shared experience, like, the accomplishment, the unbelievable beauty, the fact that we had to work together, like, never before in our lives together. I mean, the, the, the risk But then the relief of survival, like, oh, man, we're still alive. This is great, right? It forced us to bond together. In fact, I think every newlywed couple should, no, not really, not really. But we we had the sense that we'd done something great and that we'd done it together. Exhausted, terrified, overwhelmed, and absolutely delighted. I mean, joy is so weird, isn't it? Like, you could have joy in a moment like that. In fact, I would guess for many of you, as you think about your most joy-filled moments, I would guess many of them are similar. 
I mean, maybe not climbing, climbing a mountain, but like something, something intense, something hard, like, like having a baby. And happy Mother's Day again, by the way. Is there anything more painful? So I'm told, right? More exhausting, harder work, and accompanied with great joy. Or at work, when you've given months or weeks to a project, right? And you've, you and your team, you've, you've poured out everything, and you've had long hours, and it's been, it's been exhausting, but then all of a sudden, it's finally done, and you step back and admire the accomplishment. Or at the end of the season for your sports team, or closing night for your school play, exhausted and filled with joy. In contrast, we rarely get joy by trying to get joy. Like, if that's our goal, if, like we're, if we're, our goal is happiness, we almost, we almost never get it. Instead, we, we trade joy for the cheap substitutes of pleasure, comfort, selfishness, right? And we miss out on the real thing, forever chasing the next thing, and joy almost never happens when we chase after it. Joy happens when we give ourselves to something bigger than joy. Like climbing a mountain, like having a baby. Joy happens when we give ourselves to something bigger than joy. I can't make my family be joyful, right? I can't force the kind of bonding that Kelly and I had on that day. But this is why 18 years after summiting Long Speak, we take our kids on brutal, terrify you, kick your butt kind of hikes, right? And I know that's, I know that's a dumb example, and I'm not saying hiking is the key to your joy, although you could do worse. That's not what I'm saying. But if you want joy in your life, you have to give yourself to something bigger than joy. And we know that's true from our own experience, don't we? And it's also true from God's word. If you haven't already, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. And let me just remind us, right, we've been in Philippians now for a handful of weeks. It's quite possibly the most joy-filled book of the Bible. Uh, and we're, we're kind of at the, you know, almost halfway through the book. It's a short little letter. And Paul writes this letter as he's in prison. You, you always got to keep that in mind because that reminds us, even this, this most joy-filled book, joy cannot be merely about comfort, right? It cannot simply be an easy life. Paul is in prison as he writes this. We also got to keep in mind that Paul started this church, the church in Philippi, about 12 or 13 years earlier. So he's got a long history. He was, he was their pastor. And when they, when they heard that he was in prison, probably in Rome, they, instead of like stepping away, right, being ashamed of Paul or being afraid they're going to get in trouble, they sent him a letter to encourage him, a financial gift to support him, to help him with his needs in prison. And they sent a friend from the church, Epaphroditus, to love on him. And so essentially, the letter we're reading is Paul's response. It's his thank you note back to the church, which, which means 
it's not always going to make sense to us, right? Because we're only reading part of the conversation. You have to remember that with the letters, right? We're only reading one part of the conversation. And so when Paul writes about Timothy and Epaphroditus, if you're sitting there thinking, like, who are these people? Like, why is he talking about them? This has nothing to do with me. Like, it's okay to get confused, right? Because we only have one side of the conversation. In fact, I think oftentimes, either the section that we heard read, these are the kind of sections when we're reading our Bibles we tend to kind of skip over, don't we? They're hard because we only have part of the story. And so we, before we get to joy, we need to understand the context of this letter. Of what, what is Paul trying to communicate? Okay, so we're going to look at what he's trying to communicate, and then we're going to go back and talk about how this applies to our quest for joy. So the church sent Epaphroditus to Rome. Okay, here, here's, a, here's a website. You can go check this out. This is like uh, the first century version of Google Maps. Uh, not that they had this, but you could, they chart out historically. This is the route most likely he would have taken. Uh, and if he took the, the fastest route, at minimum, it would have taken him uh, 21 days to get from Philippi to Rome. One way, okay? So a long, a long journey. Uh, but he got sick along the way. Paul, Paul says that there. He got sick along the way. He almost died. And, and the church, somehow they heard about that, but they don't know how he's doing. They don't know if he's alive or they, don't, they haven't had an update since. I mean, just imagine how long communication would take in an environment like that, right? But, but regardless, they probably expected Epaphroditus to stay. That's why they sent him. Stay there, help Paul. And they probably expected then, this is pro- we're reading from the context here, probably expected Pastor Timothy to go back to Philippi. So kind of like, okay, we're going to send you Epaphroditus. That's going to free up Timothy. We'd love to see somebody that we know, right? Somebody connected to Paul. We'd love to have that relational. Con- so they, they do that, right? They, they expect Timothy, I think, to come back. They thought Timothy would bring this letter from Paul. Instead, right, who'd they get? Epaphroditus. And, and so Paul says, and essentially these are the words we heard read. This is kind of a little bit of a summary, but this is, this is what was read for us. Paul is basically saying, no, I still need Timothy, okay? I've got nobody else like him, okay? So he's going he's gonna to stay here with me. I've got to keep him a little bit longer, okay? I'll send him soon, but I need Timothy right now. And Epaphroditus, I'm really glad you sent him. He was a big encouragement, but as you heard, he got, he got really sick. He almost died, and it's been really hard on him recovering here. Hard on him, and frankly, it's been hard on me, Paul says. Like, I'm having a little anxiety, Paul says, over this. So I'm, I'm just going to send him back. I'm going to keep Timothy here, and I'm going to send Epaphroditus back to you. So those, those are the details of what Paul is communicating, right? Just the basic ins and outs of a, of a letter to his friends. But as we now look closer, everything Paul says here, is saturated with joy. Like, you you cannot read these words without feeling his joy and his love for the people who are involved. Joy was not their goal, but they got joy. How? Like climbing a mountain, like finishing up a huge project. They were doing something great, and they were doing it together. Joy happens when we give ourselves to something bigger than joy, and they were giving themselves to two things. We see it here in these, these details, two things. They were giving themselves to real friendship and sacrificial work. 
doing something great and doing it together. And they found joy. And so can we. So first, if you want joy, there's no substitute for this. There's no, there's no other way. There's no alternate route. If you want joy, you need to give yourself to real friendship. Because the friendship that is described here is, is one that sadly many of us do not have. I mean, look how Paul, first of all, describes his relationship with Timothy. Look what he, look what he says in verse, verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. So the picture, the picture of friendship here is unlike what we, what we often experience today, right? I mean, I think we know this. If we have any friends at all, which might, might be a stretch just to begin with, but if we have any friends at all, today we, we tend to define them as the people who affirm me, right, who agree with me, who never challenge me, who make my life better. Basically, like, it's all about me, right? I mean, if we're, if we're truthful, we're pretty selfish when we think about our friendships most of the time. And the moment this changes... Right, the, moment, the moment they do challenge you or start to not affirm every single thing about you, we dump them, and then we look for a new batch, right? Of people who will pat us on the back and make us feel better about ourselves. Is it any wonder we're so lonely? Because we think, we think joy comes from getting what we want and then being affirmed for it. Not Timothy. Look again, right? Everyone else seeks their own interest, is what Paul's saying. Not Timothy, though. Whose interest is Timothy concerned with? The interest of Jesus, right? And not only that, as we keep reading, do you see his devotion, like his commitment, his loyalty here? Verse, verse 22 says, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I love the description there, right? He's proven worth, which takes time, right? There's, there's history here. There's, there's loyalty. There's, there's commitment. As a son with his father, like this familiar relationship, right? This, there's a devotion that's here, which I think, again, if we're honest, I think it's often lacking in so many of our relationships today. It is way too easy for us to walk away from our friends, isn't it? Because again, we think, we think joy comes from unfettered freedom. We don't want to tie ourselves to anything or anyone, right? We want to keep our commitments loose, and so we'll, we'll jump from superficial relationship to superficial relationship. And the church can be just as bad. Like, we're guilty of this too, aren't we? You know, it's been a, it's been a hard year for relationships, hasn't it? Oh man, it's been hard. And it's certainly been hard as a pastor. And let me just say, one of the, actually the hardest thing, I think, this entire year for me personally, was how easy it was for some to leave our church. To just, just leave, not just like disappear for a little bit, right? But to leave completely. 
This is hard. I mean, this, I'm just being honest. Like, this is an area of huge... People have been here for years. It's an area of huge grief and heartbreak. And I'm, you know, don't, don't mishear that. Like, I want to be gracious to those folks. And there are, there are reasons and there are seasons in which it's, it's right and appropriate to leave a church. Please don't, please don't misunderstand what I'm, what I'm saying. But for any pastor, right, anybody who works for a church, it's always, it's always personal. It always hurts. People have left. People, people have left because we're too political and because we're not political enough. Like we've had, we've had both, both sides there because we sound too progressive or because we sound too conservative. We've, we've heard both because we opened too quickly or we didn't open fast enough or masks. People have left over masks. But here's what, here's what excites me in all of this. Here's what energizes us as a team as we think about the future. You're still here. Because we've disappointed you. We've made decisions you didn't like, and, you know, chances are there's a few more coming down the pike. I'm pretty confident of that. But you're still here. Seeking the interests of Jesus. And this, this shows a devotion, a selflessness, a commitment, a real friendship that is rare in our world. And I'm convinced, we are convinced, not only is that going to lead to great things, it's going to lead to great joy. Because it wasn't just climbing that mountain that made me so happy. It was climbing it with Kelly. And yeah, there were times we had to wait for each other, help each other, times we disagreed and argued about, I mean, it was, in some ways, it would have been a lot easier alone, right? But where's the fun in that? Joy happens when we give ourselves to something bigger than joy. Give yourself to real friendship. So C.S. Lewis compares the difference then between uh, the difference between um, lovers and friends. I, I love this because this, this kind of gets us to our second point. He says lovers find their joy by staring at each other, but friends find their joy by staring at the same thing outward together, right? Something something outside of themselves. And I think that's kind of what Paul goes goes to to, to next. This this something bigger is sacrificial work. Real friendship and sacrificial work. Because Paul, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, they're just buddies, right? They're not just, their lives aren't centered, centered around, you know, baseball and drinking beer. It's not less than those things, I'm sure, but it's more, right? Like, there's a mission, a passion that ties them together. A sacrificial work. Look, look how Paul describes Epaphroditus. You see these themes with Timothy as well, but they come out even more in verse 25. Paul says about Epaphroditus, says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Look, listen to all the descriptions he gives of Epaphroditus. My brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. That's a, that's a lot in one sentence, isn't it? And so my, my brother, right? So you see again the, the devotion there, the commitment, the, the love and affection. My, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, messenger, minister, or servant. It's the same, same word there. Like, these are not passive descriptions. Epaphroditus, he's not just a nice guy that Paul cares about. Like, this is Paul's band of brothers. 
It's a picture of hard work, of agonizing, brutal, exhausting work. And yet we so often think that, com- that joy comes with comfort, the next day off, the next vacation, and being served. Oh man, I love to be served. Don't you love to be served? That's where we think it comes. But for Paul, it's the, it's the opposite. It comes in giving your all to something great, not in being served, but in serving. Look at verse 29. This is Paul's instruction back to the church, right? Paphroditus, he's coming, coming with the letter. He says, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. We think joy comes in absolute security, total safety. We've got we to protect ourselves. We've got to protect our own. We've got to do everything we can to keep safe. We don't want to risk anything. But that's not what Paul praises. No, he praises risk, right? He says, receive him with joy, for he risked everything, even his own life, for something bigger than himself. When's the last time you've done that? When's the last time I've done that? Well, don't be stupid. Don't fall off a mountain, right? But I can't help but wonder if part of the reason we are so joy-depleted is because we are obsessed with our safe and sanitary little lives, keeping everything under control, right? Keeping everything as safe as we possibly can. When's the last time you've let Jesus take you on an adventure? Have you? Because the work of Christ is always risky. It always comes with danger. If there's no risk in your life as you follow Jesus, you're doing it wrong. And chances are, maybe it's not him you're actually following. Because if you're, if you're going to live your faith publicly and share, share your faith with others, it's, it's risky. If you're going to teach your kids that success is more than the college they get into or the money they make, it's risky. If you stand up for the marginalized and do so consistently in ways that confuse both the right and the left, it's risky. If you hold to a biblical view of sexuality, if you're vulnerable with others, if you give your time serving, if you live generously, if you sacrifice your own rights and preferences and fears, it's risky but it is sacrificial work that we are called to and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And if you want joy, joy happens when we give ourselves to something bigger than joy. Real friendship and sacrificial work. In other words, joy happens when we give ourselves to the community of Jesus, the church. Joy happens when we give ourselves to the church. I know, you expected me to say that, right? I'm a pastor. I get paid to say stuff like that. I know, I understand. But this is the church, this is where real friendship and sacrificial work come together. 
Listen, listen to these words from a couple of joy experts, some of my most recent uh, favorite authors. They write a lot about joy uh, in the church, and listen to what they say. Passion, love, and sacrifice are all natural outgrowths of a joy-fueled culture. People will do hard things and make great sacrifices when they have joy in their relationships. Like all these, these things, the sacrifice, friendship, and joy, like they all go together. And the, the church is meant to be this place. And so if you don't have a church, oh man, we're going to disappoint you. It's not going to be perfect, okay? We are an imperfect bunch. But would you press into these things with us? Or, or for those who have been, you know, joining us online or maybe dabbling with outside, or maybe this is your very first Sunday back, we're so glad that you've hung with us. And we don't, we don't know the right time for you to fully jump back in. Like, you have to make that decision. But you need to start thinking about it. Like, there needs to be, like, a, a, a plan, an action step of, like, when this happens, this ha- okay, then I'm going to jump more fully back into the life of my community. And if you're not making that plan now, it's only going to get harder. And for some, it, it might be time. For, other, for others, we've got to ask, when am I going to start serving again? Or maybe, maybe you're new here, but it's time to get your hands dirty. I tell you what, in some ways it feels like church world, it feels like we're starting over, almost from scratch, and we, we need your help. I mean, who, who wants to have coffee again on a regular basis? Like, we need volunteers for that. Like, who, who wants, uh, David, I saw that hand, by the way, so you can talk to Sarah Spence after the service. Um, like, who, wa- who wants to have a church that is really good at loving children and students? Like, we all do. But that takes an army of people at a church like ours to do that well. We need volunteers. And for some of you, it's time. For others, it's time to commit financially, right, through generosity. This year has stretched us as a church, unlike any, well, in a long, long time that I can remember. And we need your help so that we can stay on mission together. Others, others, you just need friendships, right? You need more than just showing up on Sunday. You need a community group or a Bible study, or you need to take the risk in saying to somebody, hey, can we meet for coffee? Or would you, would you come over and have dinner with me? Or just being able to open up or finding somebody that you're just going to be a friend to with no expectations of anything in return. Or somebody to serve alongside, take the risk. And if you do these things, you will always be joyful all the time forever. I promise. No, just kidding. I don't promise. We know better than that. Of course not. But friends, this is the environment of joy. We can't create joy. We can't just manufacture. We can't try really hard at joy. But you can embrace the habits of joy, right? We can do that. We can put ourselves in the way of joy. We can say, this is where joy tends to happen most. So I'm going to step into that path and hope, hope for the best, pray for the best, and say, God, bring it to me. I need it. And if you want joy, you need the church. And church, the only way any of this makes any sense of all is if this is the work of Jesus that we're doing. Like, not, it's not just any friendship. I mean, friendship matters, right? It's not just any mission, and mission matters. But this, this is 
This is Jesus' work, his community, for Jesus is the one who's devoted to us, right? He offers us friendship with God, real friendship through his life, death, and resurrection. Not, not only does he offer us friendship with, with himself, like he is the foundation of the kind of grace-filled, authentic, safe, devoted, joy-producing friendship with others. Like you can, you can risk, like you can pursue others and give yourself for others because God has done the same thing for you. And this, this sacrificial work, right, this life of risk, like nobody wants that, right? We don't like that idea. And yet if it's with him and for him, is it really risky? Yeah, probably. It's probably still risky a little bit. It's going to be painful. But it's worth it. He invites you to join him in it. Because another one of the first stories I thought of, I'm not, I'm not making this up, when I thought about this, this sermon and joy in the midst of hard things, two of the first stories I thought of, one was climbing that mountain, and the second was when we started the Olathe campus. Because I look back on that 15 years ago, I'm not sure there was ever anything harder, at least from a vocational standpoint, maybe personal, emotional things, right, family things, but from a work standpoint than, than that. 15 years ago, this, this tiny little church, love that little picture, right? Little, little, old little steeple. They were closing their doors and they asked us to take over. I was 26. I had no idea what it meant to be a pastor and certainly didn't know what it was like to plant a church. And it was brutal. Those first couple of years, some of you were there. Like, they, were, they, were, they were awful, quite honestly but we weren't alone. Like, we did it together. A team from our Leewood campus took the risk and said, Olathe needs a church, an outpost for the gospel right here, and they left comfort. And you got Dale into it, you remember? Comfort and safety, being served, right? And said, no, we're going to start over, and we're going we're to do that here. To go on an adventure with Jesus, to do something great, and to do it together. Don't you want the same? Like, don't you want to do that? Church, it's not too late. Like I said, in many ways, it feels like we're starting over. Everything is brand new to us in these coming months ahead. It is not too late. So let's do it, and let's do it together. Real friendship and sacrificial work. Joy happens when we give ourselves to something bigger than joy. And it can happen to you. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful that you give us this strange example in this letter from Paul of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus in particular, who we would know uh, nothing about um, outside of these words. Um, and yet we're so encouraged that you give him to us as an example of what it looks like to love one another, to commit to one another, to serve one another, and to be a part of something big and to do it together. And Jesus, we thank you that ultimately you're the one who has done this for us, offering us friendship, sacrificing yourself. And so even now as we come to this table, would you meet with us? And may we know you and love you more as a result. In Jesus' name.